Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Welcome to Replay the Point. Today is Thursday, April 6, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen, joined by Karen Health of Tennis View Magazine. Good evening, Karen. Hi, Pete. Good to talk again. Absolutely. And uh, we had a, a very exciting – we're we've in the middle of a couple of WTA tournaments right now, uh, Ronda the Clay and Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, Davis Cup on the men's side just got underway tonight our time tomorrow in australia but uh, we've had a a couple of very exciting miami opens uh, both the wta and on the atp side we're going to start off with the wta and uh, get your initial thoughts on 2017 miami open champion joe conta well i'd have to say joe is another one of those players that's really making great strides and has been on this course now for probably at least a year and a half, if not two years. And I was fortunate enough last year, got to be in Stanford when she won her first title. And uh, kind of serendipitously, she she took out Venus Williams in that match and uh, took the title. And then, of course, again, she had an opportunity um, to go up against Venus in Miami and, again, came out on top. Um, And, you know, if you look at Conta's game, the thing that just strikes me is she's constantly attacking. I mean, her her whole style is just to move – I don't care if she's hitting from the baseline she's moving forward or if she's coming in towards the net and moving forward, but you just constantly see this forward motion and kind of rushing in, rushing her opponent. Um, she plays pretty quickly, and she also has a pretty fantastic service game. So um, – you know, you, she's one of the few people, I think, that that is playing that much of an aggressive game. And when I thought about it, there may only be one other person that plays more aggressive than her, and that's Serena. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree. And, you know, um very impressed with uh, her as a player overall, but obviously her 2017 is solid. Karen, last Monday night I was a guest on Talk Sport Radio out of London, and obviously uh, – Joe Conta being British, there are several questions about her, and I was asked point blank, uh, does she have what it takes to uh, to win majors as, as early as this year? And I said that's a two-part answer. Number one, as I just shared with you, she's, she's playing exceptionally well, and uh, yes, I do believe she can win one as early as this year. And number two, in my opinion, the WTA really is there for the taking. Uh, Serena Williams on the shelf still really not playing all that well. Uh, Venus, we'll talk about her in a little bit, but uh, taking the court all bandaged up uh, a lot. Uh, world number one, Angie Kerber, really struggling um, in 2017 as the number one player in the world, meandered out of that back in there now. And Karolina Pliskova, who I think a lot of people have tabbed to to win majors, some as early as uh, Australian Open, which didn't happen. She won four matches there, but um, 
she's very good player, but uh, seemingly isn't being able to uh, to finish uh, despite a red hot January. So I'll, I'll turn it back to you, uh, Joe Conta. Uh, major material, and if so, when could we maybe see her winning one? Um, I'd have to agree. She's she's got major potential, and you know when it's going to happen. You know, we can all make predictions on that, but I think it's more the question of do we see the skills, do we see the mentality, do we see the drive? And that's the other thing that I really see in her is, you know, she appears a very driven player, a woman with a plan. She goes out on that court. She does not give up her strategy. Even if she is playing aggressive and she starts hitting a few stray balls, she's confident enough in what she's doing out there to know that she needs to keep going for her shots versus backing off like you see a lot of players do. So I think that's a really important point and something that just tells you she's got a lot of belief in herself and her abilities and her game. And then the other thing that I would say is, you know, you see, and that goes along with what I just said, a a mental toughness. Uh, She goes out there. She's very focused. She's very businesslike, I would say, and, you know, goes out there to get the job done, and she doesn't seem to be flustered. Uh, You know, again, she might have a couple bad shots, but she doesn't seem to get a dip at all in her persona and is able to just right herself and get back on course. Also seeing her serve her way out of some tough spots, you know, and pull out serves, you know, dare I compare, looking like a Federer, you know, <laughs> she's at a critical point and she pulls out an eight. So, you know, that's, that's some, some pretty good resume points there and, and some sharp tools in her shed. I completely agree. A pleasure to watch. And, and you're right. I mean, that mental toughness and that drive and determination, uh, we don't see that often enough on the WTA tour. And if somebody has those tools and capabilities and is able to implement them and has that confidence as Joe Conta does, absolutely. And uh, I believe, uh, Karen, she only has 126 points to defend until the conclusion of Roland Garros. So uh, she's going to continue to climb and, uh, again, did fairly well in one. I believe it was Eastbourne and um, uh, not so well at Wimbledon. So, again, uh, between now and really the end of Wimbledon, not too many points uh, for Joe Conta to have to defend. She'll keep racking them up as she continues to win. And a player that she defeated, Karen, in the semifinals of Miami, Venus Williams. Uh, this was a very intriguing matchup. Wow, what can we say about Venus Williams? Just continues to excel on the WTA Tour. <coughs> Excuse me, didn't necessarily have a, a good result this week in Charleston, but uh, again, back-to-back weeks and uh, semifinalist in Miami to just go with all the accolades that she's putting together in 2017 uh, doesn't, in some cases, look like she should even maybe take the court. And then she <laughs> goes out there and gets the job done. Uh, maybe puts herself in a little bit more difficulty than than is necessary, but um, that's a credit to the other players on the other side of the net. And those are some very good players. Venus Williams finding a way and getting a lot of victories. Yeah, Venus is having a great season and, and again, is one of those players that has worked her way back into the top ten, you know, one of the, like what I guess what I like to call veterans of the tour. 
you know, we see moments where, you know, Venus looks like she could go up against Serena and, and take the match, you know, but, but it's, I think more the consistency at this point and the ability to sustain, but surely she's going out there to battle. She's going out there to give it all she's got. She's not leaving, you know, anything behind. And for fans, it's just a a grand, great experience to be out there and be able to see a player like Venus, you know, putting forth that kind of effort and, you know, yielding some good results. You know, uh, she's still going after a number 50th win, um, so that that might be another motivating force for her to capture that title this year. And, you know, I, I think she certainly got it within her. No, I completely agree. And coming into the clay court season, obviously not a strength uh, of Venus Williams, but uh, we may be in for some surprises this year. She's playing with boatloads of confidence and uh, really doesn't matter what surface she's on right now. So uh, we'll remains to be seen, but uh, obviously the clay court season is uh, right before her favorite time of the year, uh, and that is the grass court season where she's won a bunch of Wimbledon. So it'll be exciting coming into the spring and summer for Venus Williams. And Karen, someone that we talked about on the show not really too recently ago, uh, questioning, you know, what was going on with respect to after running the marathon and Caroline Wozniacki's results weren't all that great. And here she is, uh, like the other two ladies we've just talked about, putting together a very nice, very solid 2017, and at the moment she's in the quarterfinals in Charleston this week. But uh, Caroline Wozniacki, again, another very nice result for her in Miami this year. Sure. You know, semifinalist at a uh, premier event is, is a pretty big deal on tour. And as we said, she's someone that, you know, she's had a great game. She's been a number one Um has definitely seemed to struggle with some injuries or, or kind of maintaining top playing form. But, you know, she comes in, she had some tough matches and ends up in the semi, I mean, excuse me, in the final against Conta. You know, and when I looked at this matchup, I had to step back and go, wow, probably one of the most offensive, aggressive players I've seen in a while playing mm-hmm. against somebody who is traditionally very much a defensive player. So, when I thought about that matchup, you know, I, I definitely felt Conta had the edge on that and, you know, obviously proved true, but certainly Caroline put up a great effort. And one of the things that had been noticed, you know, coming out of Miami is she's serving a little bigger. And, you know, that's, that's something in the later stages of career, you know, you have that service motion, it's ingrained, you've got the muscle memory, but, you know, to make strides and move forward and, and improve and change that serve to make it a bigger weapon could be something that really helps to move her forward this year. Yeah, good call and uh, some nice wins there, including in the semifinals over Pliskova. And really the thing that jumps out at me, Karen, uh, she dropped the first set 5-7. How about the next two sets against Carolina Pliskova? Wozniacki wins those 1-1. One and one. Uh, That's quite a result. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose a set 5-7, and that could be – a real dagger for you. You you were right there, and uh, obviously one of those last. Well, you lost both of the last two games there to uh, to lose the set, and some a lot of times that carries over uh, on the women's and the men's tour for that matter. You're still looking back, hanging on to that, and uh, getting off to a poor start. Not the case for Caroline Wozniacki. Extremely impressive, one and one second and third set victory over Pliskova. Um, 
the the number two seed there and again a top top player who's having a very nice year as well so Caroline's doing all the right things and again uh, back at it this week as well and one of the players that she beat along the way actually in the quarterfinals Karen Lucy Shahafova very nice results as well in Miami uh, working our way backwards uh, before the Wozniacki match took out number four seed Sybil Kova beat Ayla Tomljanovic, uh, beat Vesnina, uh, actually, I'm sorry, beat Gavrilova, uh, so some, and Wickmeyer even in the first round. So Lucy, again, uh, you know, that doubles play has really helped her out as well as her doubles partner. But uh, nice to see Lucy putting it together after, you know, a little bit of shelf time. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'd really like to spend a moment here because Lucy started – uh, excuse me, ended 2016 ranked 64. So as of this week, she's now ranked 28. And I think you and I both know that's a pretty massive jump to make in just the first couple months of the season. And I truly believe she is a player who has a game that is much bigger than her ranking indicates right now. And if you look back in 2015, she ended the year at number nine, and she actually had gotten as high as number five in September. And the only thing that really knocked her off her game at that point is she had an injury and then, on top of that, got a, a strange virus that landed her in the hospital. And I was reading up on it, and they literally said she had to rely on friends and family members to carry her from you know, her bed to the living room. And at that time, she actually thought she wouldn't play tennis again and the doctors wouldn't even support the notion that she might not even walk again. So that's a pretty major undertaking and experience to have. And, you know, you look at Lucy, she's somebody that always has this great attitude. She's always looking like she's out on court, truly enjoying it. And, you know, I think, again, those players that, that have those really challenging life experiences come out of it on the better side, and I think she's another one of those examples. And then, as you said, you know, she's an accomplished doubles player as well. She's won titles, including the Miami Open last year with Lucy Stafford, uh, with uh, Bethany Maddox-Sands. And so I just, I think she might be what people might consider a bit of a surprise story later on this year, but I really don't think if you look at her record and you look at what she's been able to accomplish, you wouldn't be that surprised, but you know, it remains to be seen what she can do, but um, I'm, I'm pretty impressed already. I agree. And, you know, you even look at the Miami draw and, and, you know, getting as far as she did. And uh, I kind of had to do a double take for a second there that uh, she didn't get a first round buy in Miami, obviously, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. ranking uh, low enough. And it's like, wow, Lucy's playing. 32 people get buys here. Lucy's got to play a first round match in Miami. What's what's wrong with this picture? But uh, obviously, as you mentioned, Karen, she's corrected course very quickly, very rapidly. Uh, Again, the doubles, I completely agree, has helped her considerably. And uh, right, I agree with you. I mean, the fact that some people might think this – could be a surprise story if she continues to have good results. Uh, you and I certainly not surprised, but um, uh, concurrently at the same point in time, rooting her on given all that she's been through and um, 
nice nice player, nice person. I uh, enjoyed talking with her in press and since he had the WTA roundtable a couple of years ago as well. So um, we're going to turn our attention now, Karen, to a <clears throat> excuse me, a young American player from California, Kayla Day. You had a chance to see her at Indian Wells earlier this year. I saw her last October, November here in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Uh, let's get your observations first on Kayla Day. Sure. Uh, Kayla was my first opportunity to see her at the BNP Paribas Open, and she was uh, she's ranked at 151. For those who don't know her at all, and I didn't know her well, uh, she is a lefty with a two-handed backhand, and she does pack a punch in her shots. Um, she made it to the round of 32 at the BNP Paribas Open, and no- notably took out one of our, our sort of sentimental favorites of this year, Mariana lucic Baroni, and that was a tight three-set match. And she did eventually go on losing to Garbini Muguruza, but again, it was a three-setter, 3-6, three, so she took the first set, coming out strong, 7-5, 6-2. So pretty impressive. She's uh, you know still in high school at this point, and she plans to finish up this year. Uh, her year-to-date Records are eight and five in singles and six and one in doubles. So I I wasn't as aware that she was also playing doubles, which makes it go hmm interesting, you know, given the things that we've been talking about with other players. Um, she also you know just played in Surprise Arizona a couple of times. So I didn't know if you had much opportunity to see her then. Do you recall? Um, I didn't. Uh, I, I haven't. In surprise, I only got to a couple days of uh, surprise um, this time around. Obviously, she wouldn't have been there uh, this year. But I did see her mm-hmm. last uh, November, Karen, uh, in the Fountain Hills tournament. It's known as Scottsdale, even though it's played in Fountain Hills, and I live seven minutes from that venue. And she got to the semifinals, uh, beating Melanie Udan and Cecil Karancheva along the way. She did lose to the eventual champion Beatrice Hadid. Maya Haddad, and uh, I was impressed, uh, as you mentioned, she packs a punch with, with her forehand, um, again, the lefty forehand, really impressed, and I, you know, I saw, as she was progressing in the tournament, I, I looked, and she had won the Macon Challenger uh, a couple tournaments before here in Scottsdale, and I called a friend of mine, Rick Limpert, is the tournament director there, and I asked for a little scouting report, and Basically, he's he said almost identically what what you and I have said with uh, her ability to hit a very nice ball, uh, very good competitor. That's certainly what I saw. Um, no shame at all in losing to the eventual champion here. And um, as you mentioned, getting the round of 32 at Indian Wells, big tournament, and uh, young American from Santa Barbara. So it's going to be exciting to uh, keep our eyes on yet another young American climbing. Yeah, and, you know, in addition to the results that she's having, she seems to have an innate, relaxed confidence. I got to see her and and speak with her in press. And, you know, for someone so young and at a big stage in an event that's, you know, Premier Masters 1000, um, I think that's a lot to undertake. And she just came across very much at home, was very, very candid, actually quite funny. Uh, somebody asked her about her dog because Garbinia was actually one of her favorite players that she looked up to, so it's interesting that she ended up playing her. 
And she's actually named a dog after Garmini. So um, that was kind of an interesting topic of conversation. And then that went on into Garmini's press as well. And uh, she thought it was funny as well. But, but great personality, nice game, very clean hitter, and also a good server. So, you know, let's, let's see what she can produce and, you know, a, a young American to keep an eye on. No, absolutely. I'm looking forward to uh, – I don't think she'll be playing 25Ks in surprise any longer, uh, but uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously with the uh, with the results at Indian Wells, and, uh, you know, she did play Charleston this week, took a set off uh, – well, got a wild card, took a set off of Allison Risk, uh, lost in, in three there, but um, – Good, good experience for her nonetheless, and um, obviously as we get through the clay court season and after Wimbledon, she'll be getting uh, wild guarded, I'm sure, into the excuse me, North American hard court uh, tournaments that we have here in the U.S. and possibly in Canada as well. And Karen, a couple of tournaments going on, including one on the green clay of Charleston, South Carolina. Um, Venus Williams did suffer a, uh, a loss here to. Uh, Laura Siegmund, and uh, looking, we're at the final eight right now, and Caroline Wozniacki, as we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, along with Lucic Baroni, are probably the two best-known names left in the draw. Um, I've not really, aside from looking at some scoreboards here and there, um, uh, talked about Safarova, but she lost to uh, Siegmund, the, the German who's really finding her way on clay. Anything that uh, really jumped out at you. We had an interesting Stoser Yankovic match early in that in that tournament as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, we sure did. And and just briefly, I do want to mention Sam, and then I'll jump right back into this tournament. She's another one that I think we need to keep an eye on because she's back at 17. And mm-hmm. boy, I saw her at Indian Wells, and you know, not that she's never not been the most fit player in the world, but my goodness, huh. just at a whole nother level uh, and got to see her, you know, up close in the practice court. And, you know, I'm just kind of wondering if she's another one of those later stage career players who are getting reignited and re-inspired and, you know, working back in there. But going back to the Volvo Cars Open in, in Charleston, um, from what I hear, beautiful place. I haven't had a chance to visit and definitely intend to. Haven't seen as many of the match plays, but I did notice also we've got Shelby Rogers who's still in it, and I believe she's a hometown local there. So yep. it'll be interesting to see <clears throat> with her still in the draw, you know, how that works out and if the home court advantage can uh, bring her some good luck. Yeah, good call. And, you know, very prestigious tournament in, in Charleston. I, I You know, I, I like to look at the – qualifying draws as well and see what's going on there. Uh, I was shocked when I was looking, Karen. Uh, The last direct acceptance was uh, the Czech player, Lavakova, who uh, more of a doubles player, one of the silent H's, if you will, back in a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago. But she's got – her singles ranking is 337, and believe it or not, that was good enough to get into the qualifying draw, which has 32 players. I'm a little surprised Mm -hmm. that – you know, someone 337 can still get into Charleston of all places and play qualifying. Any any thoughts on maybe what's not the attraction at Charleston at this point? Well, the only thing I'm thinking is, you know, you just had two back-to-back premier events, right? Mm-hmm. You have Indian Wells, you have Miami. That's a lot of tennis in a short period of time. 
uh, or yeah, relatively short. And then you're moving to another surface clay, right? Um, sure. And then we have the tour moving over to Europe pretty quickly after that. So I don't know if you know some of the players just feel like it's it's a better move to maybe move on, get into you know the European season and the clay there, and, and you know working towards those conditions. Um, but then also there's a tournament, I believe, in Mexico right now, Correct. too, Monterey. So I don't know too much about that one, and I'm not sure how long that one's been on the calendar. But, you know, you always got to wonder with new events, are pe- people maybe getting some appearance money and, you know, things like that? Because, you know, tournaments want to find a way to make their event stand out. And, you know, it, it could partly be that as well, kind of splitting, you know, splitting the difference between different places. Sure. Yeah, good call. I like that. And uh, before we shift it over to the ATP, Karen, anything else uh, on the WTA circuit or Charleston? Uh, I think we can move on to the guys. Okay. Well, uh, wow, 2017, April 2017, and uh, who other than Roger Federer is is leading the way? India Wells Miami double for Fed in, in 2017 after Djokovic has has done this the last three years and so that mm-hmm. by the way to go along with an Australian Open title in 2017 uh, Fed did say he's going to play practice on the hard courts for two more weeks before shifting the clay two weeks before Roland Garros and then obviously Wimbledon the priority um, says he's a little tired that's understandable but um, mm-hmm. you know. Played Rafael Nadal yet again, third time in 2017, and just seems to have figured him out with his backhand. But I want to go back to uh, a couple of matches leading into the final, Karen. Tomas Burdich had a couple match points against Federer. That one ended, unfortunately, mm-hmm. on a double fault. And then Nick Kyrgios, wow. Um, you know, two 11-9 tiebreakers in the first two sets, and then the third set, a breaker as well. And um, I thought really Burdich had a chance. I was I actually on the show I do with Jared Pine. I said I'm giving Burdich a set, and I am I just cannot say he's going to win the match. It wasn't the 6-0 head-to-head uh, the last six matches. I just didn't see Tomas Burdich being able to close that out. I thought he was going to get really mm-hmm. close, which he did, and then a double fault of all things ends it. But uh, uh, which or both of those matches do you want to talk about? Fed Burdich, Fed Kyrgios. Uh, I think Fed Curios. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know that one. It was just an amazing match. I mean, yes. you, know, you look at the scoreline alone, alone, but if you actually watched the match and saw all the dynamics going on there, you know it was just exceptional tennis. Um, you know, it it could have gone either way, uh, and as in tennis, you know those narrow margins and those most important points being the deciders. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. We we've talked before about you know uh, breakpoint uh, history with Federer. Definitely not been as strong as what we're seeing now. And you know, now you know that seems to be you know his, part of his golden plan here. And so it's it's tremendous to see that. Um, I hate to say improvement with him, but you know a shift or a fine tuning with things. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that. I've looked at, I have about 7,000 photos from Indian Wells and I've gone back and been fine tuning them and editing and reviewing. And 
also in watching Roger playing in Miami against Kyros as well as Nadal, it seems to me, and this is just an observation, that he has found the mental fortitude to wait that extra split second for his opponent to have committed to a direction, and then he's hitting the opposite way. Interesting. And, I mean, it's almost to where he, he's, you know, maybe a half a second later it'd be late. But I, I saw that a couple of times, and then when I went back and looked at some photos as well, um, I also noticed that perhaps maybe he's harder to read because I looked at some photos of his match with Rafa, and Roger had already hit the ball. It's coming back across the net, and Rafa is standing in the middle of the baseline, almost stood up as if he's trying to decide where to move, but has made no commitment in one direction or the other yet. So that was just a really interesting thing for me when I was looking at these, uh, these pictures. Oh, that, that I've not heard that before. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. And you've got it. You've got the visual proof there as well. That, that photo that you just described that you took of the ball already leaving feds racket and Rafa's in, in essence in no man's land. And obviously, as we know, mm-hmm. you have to go one way or the other. And that's, wow, that's ginormous, if you will, if, if that, uh, and I'm, I'm with you. I mean, that, that sounds spot on with respect to, what we're seeing and uh if you know feds the rest of his career obviously he's won plenty playing the way he did but good good Mm -hmm. lord i mean if that if that wrinkle can be thrown in and you've got somebody like rafa wondering what to do uh i i think that could very well be an answer to uh looking at the results the head-to-head this year absolutely yeah you know and i was thinking as well if if you want to you know not wear yourself out right you don't want to get into long rallies. What other kinds of things can you do that are, are adjustments that are not necessarily about physicality, but they're about mentality and strategy and patience and confidence? And it just mm-hmm. seems like he's got all of those things rolled up together right now. And But, boy, you have to have all those things, right? You have to have the confidence to know that I can wait that split second and I can still put that ball wherever I want it to go. And he's got that. So, you know, I'd see him playing. Again, he's always been a fast player, but I think he's even sped that up. And, again, it, it, it messes with the opponent's rhythm. And, you know, rushing, you know, through your service game and speeding that up, again, doesn't take a lot more physicality out of you. Right, you're just playing at a faster pace, but boy, can it make it difficult for your opponent. So I just think the the adjustments he's made, the results he's getting, are are amazing, but also extremely smart. Wow, well put. Yeah. And um, I, I just uh, a couple things. Uh, Barry Buss, who I do a show with as well, watched uh, you know saw a lot of Federer and Nadal at Indian Wells, and saying the pop that Roger has off both wings right now is. Is something, mm-hmm. and I asked Barry straight up. I said, you know, what are your thoughts on Rafa? He said, Rafa is playing exceptionally well. I, you know, unfortunately for him, mm-hmm. he ran into Fed in the quarters, but you know, I, I listened to Rafa very carefully uh, at that presser, and he said that uh, he's very determined to do exceptionally well in Miami. Uh, I took him at his word for that, and motors all the way to the final, and and plays. Mm-hmm. It was playing very well in Miami, and. 
Okay, then he run in, runs into uh, Fed, who, again, going back to some of the things you said, now all of a sudden it's it's a possibly a matchup problem for Rafa. But I'll go, just parlaying that, obviously Rafa's hardcourt season is over at this time until we get to the North American hardcourt season in August. I am I'm expecting nothing less than a monster clay court season from Rafa. Uh, he does not have a title yet this year, yet he is playing mm-hmm. – very well, and uh, all I can say is look out the rest of the ATP field. Yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting. I, I saw a clip the other day where somebody was pointing out the fact that, you know, the semifinalists, that runner-up, boy, have they still played amazing tennis to get there. And in some cases, you know, the final loss is, as you know, a shade of a point or two. Now, not the case with the last match, the last couple of matches, but, you know, it's almost like that that runner-up just kind of gets overlooked by the fact that they've really had a string of amazing mm-hmm. tennis and a string of consistency as well. And, you know, it points to what you were just saying. Rafa is playing good tennis. He He obviously played a much better level of tennis in Miami than he was able to put forth at Indian Wells. Um, Clay, you know, we all know what Clay means to Rafa. So, uh, you know, we're heading into his season, if you will. And, yeah, I, I expect I expect great things. But I also wonder, is he going to run the gauntlet and play everything like he normally does as a lead-up mm-hmm. to the French Open? Where last year... He actually hurt his wrist in Madrid, and mm-hmm. then, of course, that took him out of Roland Garros. Or is he somewhere along the way going to forego something? You know, I'm thinking maybe at least Barcelona, but then again, you know, he's Spanish son, and, you know, Barcelona is about his home, you know, home court as it can be. So I'm really curious about that and what he does with his schedule and, you know, trying to play the right amount of matches, but not, you know, enter in too much risk that might potentially be a problem, you know, in in making it to the finish line. No, I agree. And, you know, heading into the final against Federer, uh, Rafa had 19 wins in 2017. Fed had 18. And Rafa had the lead on the ATP Tour with the number of wins. Obviously, Fed leveled that right now. But my point is, as we all know, Rafa needs match play. He's had plenty of match play in 2017, so I agree with you. I I always kind of scratch my head. I, I guess I get that he plays Barcelona, but at the same point in time, if you had to eliminate one, that would certainly be the one, but um, mm-hmm. he's a Spaniard, and this one's in Spain, and uh, it's not a 1,000, and he insists on playing them all. But you're right. He might need to look at things differently given what happened last year and uh, – yeah, I would I would X Barcelona off the schedule just given the magnitude of the other tournaments. But Rafa's going to do what Rafa's comfortable with. But uh, that said, uh, just a reminder, Rafa, you've you've got plenty of successful match play in 2017. <laughs> hope uh, hope that you can uh, you know decide accordingly what's best for you. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, Karen, real quickly, we talked about Nick Kyrgios and again that match against Fed. He also had a, another very intriguing match. Uh, yet another matchup against Alexander Zverev, and again, uh, yeah. we're seeing we're seeing a lot of the same matchups in the ATP Tour now. Djokovic, uh, Del Potro, Kyrgios, Zverev, Federer, Nadal. Um, 
you know, I, I saw a couple of things out there that people were writing saying, you know, when the time comes for Federer, Nadal, Murray, and Djokovic to to hang it up, if 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 the future is going to be Kyrgios and Zverev, we're, we're in good hands. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Nick Kyrgios got the better of Zverev again, but wow, I mean, this is this is going to be one to keep our eyes on going forward. It just highly anticipated match with these two guys going at it. Yeah, I'm loving this pair-up, and I want to continue on them, but I do want to quickly go back to one thing with Kyrgios and Federer. The way that match ended, you know, I know a lot of folks had things to say about Nick's response with the racket, but I got to tell you, despite that maybe less than ideal behavior, I got excited because we'll tell you Mm -hmm. why. It matters to him. Yep. That was a passionate response that, you know, showed it mattered and that he cares. And I got so much out of his pressers in Indian Wells and then as well watching some of the ones in Miami. His whole demeanor compared to what I saw a year ago in Miami where I walked out of a presser one night going, oh, gosh, I hope he doesn't walk away and quit. Like, he looks really unhappy, and I really wondered about it. And, in fact, he spoke to potentially taking some time off from last year, said he was what he will call in a dark place, wasn't happy, didn't want to go out on the courts, didn't want to travel, you know, all of that stuff. And he's just, his um, his whole demeanor, his facial expressions, his eyes are lit up differently, you can just tell he's there, he's engaged, he says he's in a good place, I believe him. Um, he is looking for a coach, but he's taking his time to really try to find someone that cares about him. And I thought, you know, for a young man, because he still is a young man, that's also a pretty intelligent thing to think about. You know, there's lots of people out there with big names and big games, um, but, you know, maybe given the sounds like a little bit of struggle he had last year he knows he really needs to find that right fit but it sounds like he's getting fired up it sounds like he's loving going out there now and he's enjoying it and in addition he put the exclamation point out there because the Miami crowd wasn't exactly kind to him of saying the only way I'm going to silence people is to talk with my game so Mm -hmm. now I think he's also got a mission to say you know what I'm not going to put stuff out there in words. I'm just going to keep playing. I'm going to keep working, getting better. Jack Sock has said he's seen him getting better every week. I think we've seen it over the past couple of weeks, even though we didn't get to see, you know, the the Fed matchup uh, at Indian Wells. You know, and then when you look at him playing Zverev as well, these two, I mean, it's just, it's another beautiful combination. And I agree that they could be the next big thing in men's tennis. And boy, isn't that just wonderful for us as fans. So I completely agree. I see nothing from nothing but positives there. Um, And then on Zara's front, he also beat Stan in Miami. Yes. You know, and that was quite a match too, if you didn't get a chance to see it. So, Zverev continues to be another guy who likes the big stages. He wants to take on the top players, and he's doing it with success. So, you know, I think they're both very much on track to to lead the pack in that younger group. 
No, completely agree. And, you know, along the lines, I, with what Kirio said about winning will silence the fans, I agree. And I'm going to circle back uh, a number of years now, Karen. Well, maybe not so many, but Robin Soderling, you know, we remember that match against Nadal when he mm-hmm. was sort of mocking him, and that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I, I saw him play Fernando Gonzalez in, in at the Toronto Masters, uh, I believe it was 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, those guys almost threw down. They were ready to go at it. Um, Soderling mm-hmm. can be brash. Fernando, you know, doesn't take kindly to things like that as well. But, you know, Robin Soderling also gained a boatload of fans, uh, you know, then beating Nadal, reaching the final, uh, reaching the final two consecutive years at Roland Garros. Boy, what a unique uh, game that he had. But uh, he was sort of a villain in a lot of people's mind, not only for mocking Nadal, but just the way he carried himself on court. And, much like Nick Kyrgios will try and accomplish, Soderling got a lot of people in his corner, in his camp, with, with winning, winning tennis. And, uh, mm-hmm. again, obviously Kyrgios, I think, has a much brighter future than uh, Soderling, not to take anything away from the Swedes' fine career, but absolutely right, and that's my example for uh, a blueprint for Nick Kyrgios. Keep winning, and, uh, yeah, I, I think even a lot of people that had problems with him uh, are going to be in his camp and be fans. And so... <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, absolutely the the Zverev Kyrgios uh, match. I can't wait for more of those. But uh, any other of the young guns uh, that you'd like to uh, talk about uh, on the ATP tour before we talk a little Davis Cup, Karen? Sure. Um, let's just look at one other young American. Uh, we've got Taylor Fritz. He's 19 years old. He is a dad. So boy, add some complication to there. But he gave huge, huge, huge credit to his wife, saying you know he couldn't do what he's doing and following his dream. And, you know, she's really um, taking the reins at that front and he's trying to be there as much as he can, but boy, what a challenge. Um, he uh, is six foot four. <laughs> so, he, you know, he, he's in that special pack as well and packs a pretty giant serve. Uh, he beat Chilich at Indian Wells, three setter, four, six, seven, five, six, four. And, Really did tremendously well on break points, both saved and won. And when he spoke in his pressers, and, and he uh, continued on to play Benoit Pair as well, um, he talked, in fact, about the whole next-gen event coming up in Milan. And he basically said, I want to be there. It's going to be the first one. It's going to be special. And I think that that would just be a moment and an occasion that I want to be a part of. Um, so, you know, he just sounded very motivated, very positive about his game, um, where things are going, and also someone that seems to have a lot of confidence. In fact, he said, you know, tennis is all about confidence. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you're not going out there with confidence, you know, you have to believe you have a chance to win. And I, I think we've heard that time and time again. But, you know, he, he spoke specifically to that in his presser and again one of my first opportunities to see him play but uh, very clean ball striker as well and may, some people may not know but he uh, his father was his coach for quite a while and definitely uh, a big server school because he also was one of the, the coaches that helped develop um, uh, Coco Vanderwey and we know Coco's got quite a tremendous serve as well so it's kind of an interesting story there, and, and it'll it'll be great to see if he's able to crack the numbers 
um, to get into that next gen event because it sounds like it's going to be interesting. Uh, I actually read a little bit today about how uh, they may try out some new ATP. Uh, I guess they called them reforms in, I think, a, a best-to-four set match and sudden death mm. breakers and things like that. So um could, could be kind of fun just to watch that to, to see how those things play out as well. Yeah, that's neat. Uh, well, we talked about young American Kayla Day on the WTA Tour, young American Taylor Fritz on the ATP, and uh, there are others out there as well. So a very exciting time for American tennis, uh, women and men. And uh, it's been a while, really. And uh, we've got some some traction now with some results on the scoreboard from from both individuals we've talked about and others. And uh, Davis Cup is underway, Karen. Uh, U.S. obviously playing in Brisbane, Australia right now. Jack Sock is taking on Jordan Thompson, a young Aussie that a lot of people are high on. Uh, Got a chance to see a little of him uh, at the Australian Open on – online streaming and liked what I saw. He is now a, a game away from eliminating Jack Sock in four. Uh, and obviously Nick Kyrgios and John Isner will be up next. But, uh, yeah, Jack Sock, this is someone who, uh, again, now four consecutive quarterfinals or better at uh, the last four Masters 1000s, including a semifinal thrown in there. And uh, I was I really – I think this I, – I saw that this is the first time – since Agassiz in 99 that American has been to four consecutive Masters 1,000 quarters or better. That seems like a, a long drought, but uh, there you have it. And uh, I don't know. In my opinion, Sox, I, I think, could still get with the fitness program at the same point in time. Others have said he's got the best pair of hands on the doubles court, and obviously that counts for something. But um, I don't know. It, it just we, – we see Sock have very good progress – uh, exceptional progress at some results and then possibly letting down his American mates and, and losing the first rubber in, in Davis cup. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say with sock. I mean, he definitely has some tremendous abilities. And like you said, he's got those double skills in there. Um, I can't speak too much to, you know, what's ongoing right now. I, I didn't get to see much of this this evening, but one thing I was pleased to see coming through both Indian Wells and Miami, two hot and hot and humid events, is that we mm-hmm. didn't see Jack coming up against literally the physical blocker of not mm. being able to handle the heat out there. Um, you know, he, he did, you know, pretty good runs in both events and, um, you know, maybe seems to be managing that better. So perhaps that is, a nod to a little bit better physicality or learning how to recover better, you know, caring for himself the way that he needs to, to to get through those things. But I always wonder about that with him when we, you know, we get to those moments where you, you have events where the temperatures can be extreme and the Indian Wells in particular was pretty darn hot this year. So. Sure. Yep. And uh, before we wrap up, anything else that you'd like to cover, uh, from the ATP, uh, anything Roland Garros uh, lead-up tournaments, uh, doubles, anything else along those lines? Oh, you know, I think there's lots to talk about lead-up to Roland Garros, and we can probably cover that in the next few weeks. Of course, Monte Carlo sure. is kicking off shortly. Uh, such a beautiful place and always a jam-packed draw. You know, I don't think there's any player that doesn't want to play there. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a quick nod to doubles. Although this was a singles result, um, Mahu at uh, 
at the Miami Open, you know, made it all the way to uh, the final 16, came up against Nadal, pressed him to a, a pretty tight second set, a 7-6 win. Um, you know, just, again, kind of looking at the contrast of uh, singles players that are, you know, performing well and they're they're performing and competing in both doubles and singles, and then those doubles players also that seem to, to be creeping into the singles rankings a little bit more and, and seeing some more success. So um, it's just kind of interesting dynamics, and I, I love watching it. And then, of course, we didn't mention it, but, of course, Martinez had another great March run. Um, yeah. So just want to keep doubles out there. I want people to forget about it. If anything promoted. Yeah, well, Mahu, I think yeah. he's 35 or 36 years old. Uh, you mentioned in singles, competing exceptionally well against a red-hot Rafa Nadal, and I believe he held the uh, number one doubles ranking for a while there, too. So, uh, absolutely, yeah. uh, all, all credit to Mahu and what he's able to continue to do. And so, on behalf of Karen Health, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next time on Replay the Point. Good night.